Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For through, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice and distinguished good from evil. The word of the Lord. This passage that we just had read for us that we're coming to in Hebrews is, in my opinion, the heart, the beating heart of the whole book. We've seen repeatedly throughout this series the big idea of Hebrews. And if you didn't know the big idea by now, it's in the title of the series. That Jesus is better. We saw Jesus is better than the prophets through whom God spoke in many times and in many ways. But now he's spoken through Jesus. Jesus is better than the angels because to none of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Ask of me. I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Jesus is better. He he brings a better salvation for us to which we ought to pay close attention. He brings us into a better rest than what God offered to the people of Israel as they entered Canaan. Jesus is better than Moses, who was a faithful servant in the house of the Lord. But Jesus was faithful as the son who is over God's house. Jesus is a better high priest. He's better than Aaron or of any of the Levitical priests. Jesus as we will also see in a couple weeks, brings us into a better covenant. Doesn't matter, as, as Dan said, who you compare him to or what you compare him to, Jesus is always better. And there's nothing that comes even close. 
So if that's the big idea of Hebrews, then the main application of that idea is faithfulness. We are called to be faithful to him. Or as we see here in the text we read in 4 verse 14, hold fast to our confession. These truths that we claim to believe, that we have confessed, that we know about Jesus to be true, we must keep believing them. We must keep living them out. We must keep holding on to them and persist in them. We are called to faithfulness. But the heart, the heart of Hebrews is that Jesus does not leave us to believe this truth and to hold fast to this truth on our own. But Jesus is with us all the time. Every step of the way. He does not leave us. He is our constant companion who carries us through even the most difficult moments because he is God with us. This is the prophecy that Matthew, and as he opens his gospel, refers to in talking about uh, Jesus' birth in Matthew 1. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as Matthew opens with this, referencing this great promise, He closes with another great promise from Jesus himself, his final words to his disciples as he sends them out in Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The great truth of the gospel is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Come to dwell with us. Come to abide with us. And that by his spirit who is with us now, he never leaves us. The Anglican hymn writer Henry Francis Light, who lived in the 1800s, was a a vicar, a, a pastor in the Anglican church, but after a long struggle with lung disease that eventually turned into tuberculosis, he had to uh, retire from ministry at the age of 54 and uh, leave England for his health. He was told that if he traveled... By traveling to Italy, it said that that would help his, his health. But unfortunately, he died along the way. He never reached his destination. But before he left England, as he was preparing for his journey, knowing that there was a high probability he would not return, that he was facing his imminent death... He wrote the words to what has become his most well-known and well-loved hymn, and it's actually a personal favorite of mine. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless. Oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. 
Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. The words to this hymn, which are really a prayer, echo the cry of our souls in our moments of deepest need. Don't leave me. Stay with me. Abide with me. Please, God, stay. And the author of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus does exactly that. He abides with us. He stays with us and will never leave us. And we can know this for certain because Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our moments of weakness. And Jesus is also able to help us in our time of need. And those are the two truths that we will meditate on this morning, that Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, and he's able also to help us in our time of need. First of all, then, that Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness. We saw in in chapter 4, verse 15, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us because he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, just without sin. Jesus became like one of us, to be tempted and tried in the same way that we are. And the author of Hebrews explains this, goes into an extended analogy in in chapter 5, in in 5 verses 1 through 10, by comparing Jesus to this human high priest. In verses 1 through 4, chapter 5, he talks about this high priest, how he was chosen from among his peers, that he was appointed to act on their behalf, to, to bring their cares and concerns before God, to offer gifts and offer sacrifices for sins. And he says that this high priest was able to deal gently, patiently, kindly with his peers and with the people because he himself was beset by the same weaknesses. He suffered the same things that they suffered. He was tempted in the same way that they were. And he even failed and sinned in the same way that they also did. And so he also had to offer sacrifices for himself as well as for the people. But this is what it meant for the priest to truly represent God's people, that he was one of them. He was truly like them, and he shared in their suffering. And that is how he could lead them. A great example of this comes from one of my favorite shows, Band of Brothers, uh, which is about uh, the men of Easy Company uh, of the 501st uh, Airborne uh, Regiment during World War II, who they were involved in many of the the, the biggest uh, engagements in the European uh, part of World War II. And one of my favorite characters is uh, First Sergeant Carwood Lipton. As First Sergeant, he had a role to play in, in caring for the entire company. And this role was particularly important as they were in the Battle of the Bulge in, in, the, in, the, um, in the forest, in the Ardennes. 
And this was in the middle of winter. And they were surrounded by enemies. And they were being bombarded night and day, repelling attack after attack. They were suffering through freezing cold without winter apparel. They had limited equipment, limited rations. They were fighting for their very lives, seeing comrades die regularly all around them. But First Sergeant Lipton was everywhere. He was tireless in encouraging the men, going from foxhole to foxhole, seeking out those who were most weary, who were most discouraged, who were most grieving, offering what help he could, offering what consolation he could, giving them encouragement, telling them to keep fighting, not to give up. Reminding them, we're all in this together. We are going to make it. And they did. They survived. Similarly, Jesus, in our moments of deepest weakness, in our moments of most profound need, is there with us. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, speaking about this, these very verses, says this, that the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. There is no moment in which Christ is closer to us then we are at the lowest depths of weakness and pain. Because Jesus is the greatest high priest. We see this in verses 5 through 10. Jesus was chosen directly by God and not by any men. God appointed him to act as an eternal high priest, standing forever between God and man, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, a greater order than that of Aaron and the Levites. Jesus also offered up prayers as our high priest during his life on earth, we're told. And that because of his reverence, God heard him. We hear some of these prayers laid out for us in the Gospels. In Luke 13, 34, he prays for the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. In John 11, as Jesus stood in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus, surrounded by the grieving and mourning family members and friends, we're told Jesus wept. And it was not just one little tear like the kind you post on Instagram. We're talking deep, racking sobs and cries of anguish and grief. He wept. And again, we see as Jesus was hours away from his death, as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're told he withdrew from from them, from his disciples, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed 
more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And then as he hung on the cross, Jesus cries out again. In Matthew 27, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. That is my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out to God on his own behalf and for us as well because he was in moments of dire need. He was in moments of profound pain and agony. He suffered. We're told in verse 8, he suffered in order to learn obedience that he was made perfect through his suffering. Jesus, of course, we're told, never sinned because he is God. He was perfect, but he had to learn what it meant to persist in obedience even in the face of pain, even in the face of being punished, even in the face of suffering for what he had done. Jesus' obedience became perfect through his suffering. Because it hurts. It really hurts when, if you have been kind to someone, and you have loved them and tried to care for them, and they return that love and care with betrayal, by wounding you. Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus had to learn what that felt like. He knows what it feels like to be hurt and betrayed and to be punished even though he did nothing wrong. We also see that Jesus was tempted in every respect, just as we are, and yet he never sinned. Now that may make it sound like he got it off easy, but it's actually quite the opposite. Jesus knows more than anyone how hard it is to resist temptation. C.S. Lewis, our friend, as we call him, uh, says this to say on that subject. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never know the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. None of us really know just how strong the pull and the attraction of evil and sin can be. But Jesus does. He knows it to the fullest. So Jesus knows exactly what each and every one of us are going through right now. And we're not just talking about an intellectual knowledge. He doesn't just know about it. It's not just because he's been watching and he can tell it hurts. He's experienced it. He knows it personally, deeply, in a way that none of us could actually even understand. I don't know what all of you are going through. 
And those of you who, I do know some of the things you're going through, I, I don't know what that's like. There are many among us who are suffering from sickness, from chronic pain and discomfort. And it's hard. There are those among us who are struggling with mental illness. Which is extremely difficult and discouraging. There are those among us who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Or who are afraid that we might potentially lose someone we love. There are those who carry the scars of trauma and past abuse. Those who are experiencing relational trauma right now. Who are going through very difficult times in their relationships with people that they love. And if we think of those around the other side of the world in Ukraine, we can't imagine what it's like to live in a place where that has suddenly been invaded by a foreign power and you face the imminent destruction of your home and all that you hold dear. But Jesus knows. He knows all those things and can sympathize with you in that pain Completely. He understands because he's experienced it in a way that is actually far deeper and far meaningful than anything we could understand. And that is why he's also able to help us. And that's the second thing that we see in this passage, that Jesus is able to help us in the times when we need him. And it's important to keep those two things together, that Jesus sympathizes with us and that helps him, that allows him, that makes him able to help us. Because there are few things worse than when someone thinks they know what to do to help, but they really don't. They think they know what to say. They think they know what they can do to fix it, but they really have no idea. Perhaps you, someone has tried to help you before in that way. And it hurts. It adds more pain for someone to come and, and hear about what you're going through and then just flippantly say, oh, this is here. This is the answer. You just need to, believe, just need to do this. And then that should take care of it. You should be all better now. It hurts. For someone to come quote to you, Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. That is absolutely true. But biblical truth given at the wrong time, in the wrong way, and in the wrong place is just wrong. But Jesus does not do that. Perhaps you are not the one who is hurting, who's been, had someone try to help you like that, but you see someone in pain and you want to help them. You say, so what should I do? Sit with them. Spend time with them. Abide with them. Enter into their world. Into their pain and discomfort. Ask questions. Listen. Don't try to give answers. Acknowledge that you are fallible. 
Acknowledge that you are limited. You don't know why this is happening. You can't explain it. You can't justify it or make it feel okay. But you can be there for them. You can pray for them. And you can ask God together to help you through this time. But Jesus really and truly knows. He really and truly understands perfectly what you are going through. He's felt exactly this, what you are feeling, and he's able to help you. And so the call for us, because of this, we see in 4.16, is that we should come to him. We are told to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, where Jesus is waiting for us, where Jesus is ready to pour out mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And that word that we translate as the time of need is one word in Greek. It is the eukaryon, which if you take it in, in, its, in its parts, it's literally the good time, the right time. It is at just the proper opportune moment when we need him most. When we have sunk to our lowest, that Jesus comes to help. And Jesus will always be there at just the right time. Not before and not a second after. He will be there to help. And so we should not be afraid. We can, as the author of Hebrews says, have confidence. The prophet Isaiah Speaking to the people of Israel, even though they were facing eventual judgment and, and exile in Babylon, Isaiah says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. And perhaps words that are a little bit more well-known, the psalmist David says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. This is the heart of Hebrews. Jesus, our Savior, is with us. He will not leave us. In conclusion, we should look just briefly for a moment at, at 5 verses 11 through 14. And these truths that we have seen so far in Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews calls them, these are the elementary, the, the basic principles of the oracles of God. That Jesus is better. Doesn't matter what else you're looking for, Jesus is better. 
And it doesn't matter how you're feeling, what you're going through, but you can be faithful. You can hold fast to him. Because Jesus is with you. He will not leave you. He will help you. If you know these things, if you understand them, then you are ready for growth. You are ready for more solid food, as the author of Hebrews puts it. You are ready to to keep growing, to keep advancing in your Christian life. You're ready for greater challenges. But if you do not understand these things, if you don't know these elementary principles, then I invite you to hear once again. Jesus is better. He is always better. And Jesus calls us to faithfulness. And we can follow him faithfully. Because Jesus, as our high priest, is with us. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. And he is able to help us in our time of need. And we all need to be reminded of this. Because we all forget this sometimes. But just as a baby is sustained by her mother's milk. These are the truths that they're for children. We need them as the foundation so that we can continue to grow in the Christian life. But these are also the truths that will sustain you. That will carry you through the darkest times. So let's believe them as we hear them this morning, because Jesus is here with us. And if you have not experienced the closeness of Christ, if you do not know that he's truly with you, now is the moment to draw near and to ask him to draw near to you. Let's pray together.